Good morning. I, uh, you know, it's, um, it's interesting when you got like um, a Christmas Eve service and then you Christmas Day and then preparing for Sunday. Um, this week was short for me um, and, uh, and just kind of preparing for both of those. And I was like, Lord, I, I, every, every time I have an opportunity to be able to, to preach, I want to be preaching not just God's word, but um, like a now word. And um, so I'm, I'm excited about what, um, what God's kind of put on my heart. I feel like it's in, in line in the vein of, of kind of this morning. Of, of what we've been talking about with the valleys and, and mountaintop experiences. One of the things that stuck out the most for me in that word that was shared um, that Michael gave us was that nothing of significance grows on mountaintops. Isn't that true? We want to all live on the mountaintop. We fail to realize that you get above the tree line and nothing, uh, you can't sustain yourself on, on, on a mountaintop. It's in the valleys where the fertile land is, it's in the valleys where we grow crops, it's in the valleys where things of um, significance grow. Um, so I was, I was just processing through this week and um, I, I, I don't know about you, but I find myself to be um, impatient. Does anybody else find themselves to be impatient? I feel like the older I get, the more impatient I get. I get more and more cantankerous. I get more particular, and um, the more and more I like things done a certain way, because it's the right way, if we're going to be honest, right? Like, it's, it's the way that it's, things are supposed to be done. Um, there's a right way and a wrong way to load the dishwasher, and so if you want to know the right way, just ask me, and I'll show you. It's really pretty simple. Um, but I find myself getting more and more, and probably... I always was this, but I'm maybe more self-aware at this point in my life that um, I get I get pretty impatient, and um, and I was thinking even even um, my best friend and my worst enemy is that progress bar uh, when you like are uploading a new update on your computer and it shows like it goes from left to right and zero to a hundred percent essentially, and um, where, where when it's moving pretty steady, I'm happy. <laughs> Like, this is going to be like 30 seconds. We're going to be done with this sucker. And then um, when it stops moving, I wonder, what's happening right now? Like, computer, what are you doing? And I've literally stared at it to the point where I look at the pixel. Like if, and, and I would be happy if I saw a pixel move. And if you've ever been there where you're staring at that progress bar and you're like, I literally have I've been sitting there watching for two minutes I should be doing other things, but I'm staring at this, this progress bar and it has not moved one pixel. And, and whenever I do that, my mom, who's going to be here in the second service, um, she, uh, she always used to say to me, you know, Justin, a watch pot never boils. Anyone ever hear that before, a watch pot? So I'm here to tell you that is a lie because I have sat and I have stared at a pot and watched it come to boil and wasted minutes of my life, right? Just staring at that sucker, waiting for it. Just like the progress bar, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm staring at this thing. Um, the problem is, is that like, we don't want to wait. We don't like waiting. And in the moments of staring at something, whether it's a watched pot or it's a progress bar in our life, or it's just a promise that like we have been waiting for for years. 
And it just never seems to come. And I'm just waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. The problem is, is that we want to quit in those moments. Those are the moments where we want to quit. And I made this mistake once when um, my, I told you a few, a couple months ago that like there's this update. By the way, I'm five updates behind on my MacBook um, because I don't like updates. I don't like waiting for them. And so I'm five updates behind and every single day, multiple times a day, if I'm on my computer, it will say, do you want to update now? I, I want to say, shut up. But it doesn't give me that option. It says, not now or what does it say? Yes, right, so you start now or later. And I'm like, later, later. And it gives me like, in an hour? No, like tomorrow, give it to me tomorrow. I made a mistake once where I actually clicked accidentally restart now, like do the update. And I freaked out because I was like, I don't have time for this. Like, what's it gonna, how long is it gonna take? This is gonna be horrible. And so I, I did what anybody would do, I just like, force restarted my computer in the middle of the update. I was like, no, and you hold down that button long enough and it finally just goes, let me just tell you, it did not go well. Um, It was a hot mess for about a week of me trying to get my computer back to like where it was before and it's still, I, I still, it's still not the same because I just couldn't wait. Because when we're in seasons of delay, when we're in like waiting periods, which, look, at if you're not in one, just wait. Like, you're going to be in one. You see what I did there? Um, we want to quit. We want to just force quit. Because we don't know how long it's going to take. We don't necessarily know what the heck is happening when we're staring at it and pixels aren't even moving. And so if you've been there, if you've been maybe in that valley, wondering when in the world am I going to get back up on the mountaintop that I used to be back on, And I just wish that I could get out of this place that I'm in. I just think that this message is for you today. So if it's not for you right now, just like maybe like put it away and you can look at it next week when you you do need it. Um, And it's the story in John chapter 11. So you can turn with me to John chapter 11. We're not going to stand this morning because there's a lot of scripture and we're just going to kind of walk down through it rather than reading it in the beginning. But it's the story of Lazarus. And uh, it... If you don't know the story of Lazarus, it is a, one of the most amazing miracles f- for me. I mean, there's the feeding of the 5,000, and then for me, the, then there's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Um, both of those for me, I just, I have such a hard time wrapping my head around I've seen people healed. I've seen legs grow. I've seen people heal to cancer. I've actually seen deaf ears open. I've seen those things. But but this one, um, it it just stretches the imagination. So John chapter 11, verse 1, let's get started. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, and this is what they said. The Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, pause. You, You don't send word in that day that someone is sick unless they're sick. Right? Like, I mean, you don't just be like, hey, someone's got the sniffles, Jesus. Could you pray for them? You know, someone got a cut. Could you, could you maybe help them? Like, 
you know that, that Lazarus was sick, like brink of death, sick. So they send word to Jesus. The, the messengers finally get there and they're like, hey, the one that you love is sick. Now, I want you to notice they don't even say Lazarus's name. They just say the one you love. So Jesus obviously held a very special place in his heart for Lazarus, and everyone knew it. And so you didn't even have to say Lazarus. You'd be like, hey, you know, the one that you love is sick. Verse 5, it continues. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Again, it reiterates the love that he had for Jesus, or for, for Lazarus, which makes this very next verse so completely off the wall to me. Like, just, it doesn't even make sense. Because it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her, and her sister and Lazarus, verse 6. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Like, I want you to understand, that word so that begins verse 6 is kind of a word that, that, that is like a cause and effect, right? Like, I was hungry, so I ate food. But, but this is weird because it says, you know, Jesus loved Lazarus, so he delayed for two more days. Which, which drives me crazy trying to figure out what in the world is going on here because this is a person who Jesus, clearly it's said twice now that Jesus dearly loves this person. It's the one whom he loves, who is seemingly on the brink of death, and he decides, because he loves him, that he's going to stay where he is for two more days. He, he doesn't pick up and run and say, come on, the one that I love is sick. Let's go, let's go, let's go. If I were Mary or Martha, these two sisters, I'd be disappointed. If I was Lazarus, <laughs> I'd be really disappointed. And I was thinking about this, like, have you ever been there? Have you ever been um, in the place where God doesn't do what you expect him to do? even though he says he loves you. Like you get to that place where you're like, God, like I hear you telling me that you love me. And I kind of believe it, at least in theory, right? But, but like if you really loved me, like you would do something about this. This thing that, that you know is going on. Like, because as far as I can tell, Jesus has no reason why he couldn't have just gone to Lazarus. There's nothing that was like too, too pending that he had to take care of. There was no business that was too, you know, oh, I have to just get this done. I have to take care of this. I have to meet with this person. I've got to go meet with this king. I've got a lot of people, a lot of things going on. I'm just too busy. I've got this, this trip. There's no reason why he couldn't have just dropped everything and gone to be and to do something for the one that he loves. In fact, it would seem that Jesus intentionally delays going to Lazarus. And I struggle with this. And you probably struggle with this because you think, like, if you love me, then you would show immediate concern and comfort me in this moment. And one thing that I learned, the longer I walk with Christ is that he does not seem to be as concerned about my comfort as I think he should be. 
Like, we argue about that a lot. Like, you should be more concerned about this thing that I'm concerned with that you don't seem as concerned as you, you should be. And we kind of dwell in this waiting period, this, this period of delay. Jesus waits two days. And after he waits two days, verse 7, continue. Says, and then he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. In other words, let's go back to see Lazarus. We've been, you know, two days in. The disciples pitch a fit because they, they, they literally try to talk Jesus out of it. They're like, Jesus, we, we don't want to do this. Verse 8, this is what they say to him. But, 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 but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, you might, you might, you might forgot this, but we didn't. Um, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you want to go back there? Again, Jesus was not as concerned with their comfort as they thought he should have been. We skip down to verse 11. Jesus says, and after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And then his disciples, who I, I absolutely love these guys because they give me hope for, my, for myself. Um, they're, they're thick as, um, as anything. And, and they say in verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. They're just like, Jesus, like, you know, Lazarus has fallen asleep and, uh, and, and we're, we're going to go wake him up. And they're like, but just let him sleep, Lord. Sleep is good, right? You just, if he sleeps enough, he'll, he'll get better on his own. And Jesus, um, it says in verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And so verse 14, it says, so then he told them plainly, guys, 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 Lazarus is dead, he's dead oh he died i didn't know that okay i thought he was just sleeping no. like he's dead like like dead dead and and, and lazarus and or jesus is um, lets them in on a little bit of why he delayed to heal lazarus and he says this in verse 15 he says and and catch this i want you to really grab a hold of it he says and for your sake i'm glad i was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. Like there's something that Jesus wants to do in these disciples' lives, and it's not just for Lazarus, but also for them. Like Jesus is going to be teaching them something about himself that is going to deepen their faith in him. And I think that it's sometimes we forget this, even in like a charismatic church, like where we, we're seeking after, we want to see like healings and we want to see signs and, and wonders. And sometimes we forget that signs and wonders are not just meant for the person who gets healed. God does signs and wonders to point us to himself. They're signs that make you wonder. That like Jesus wants to go heal. And there's the miracle in and of itself of what happens here that we're about to read in Lazarus's life. But do not miss the fact that in every miracle and in every sign and in every wonder, Jesus is trying to teach you something about it. Be like, but I didn't get healed. But if you're paying attention, if you're digging your well, you will find that there's something that Jesus is wanting to teach you about himself that you couldn't have learned any other way.
And this is what he's saying to his disciples. He's like, I'm glad we didn't go because there's going to be something I'm going to teach you about me through this miracle. Verse 17, it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So there's this Jewish belief that um, after three days, the spirit left the body. I, I honestly think that Jesus was waiting until everybody knew that this thing was over. Like it was it was, it was done. The funeral had happened. Lazarus was embalmed. He was wrapped in linens. They put a, they put a uh, sealed a rock in front of his tomb. I mean, it was over. He was, he was dead. He was, things were finished. But what I love about it is that our God continues to show hope and give hope where there is no hope. He continues to um, make the impossible possible. And Jesus walks into this, and as he's going up to this tomb, we see in verse 21, one of, one of Lazarus' sisters comes out to meet him. And she, in verse 21, she says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Like, following Jesus means that sometimes we're disappointed. Following Jesus means that sometimes we wonder, where are you? Are you doing anything? Following Jesus means that sometimes we wonder like why he hasn't done the thing that we expected him to do. And following Jesus means that sometimes we even question if he even cares. Like, do you see me? Like, you say you love me. I hear you saying it. I hear the words. I read it in the Bible, and I, I've felt it at times in my life, but I just, I'm really highly questioning right now if you truly do love me like you say you do. Do you even care? These are, these are the real questions that, like, roll around the hearts of humankind, followers or not followers of Jesus. It continues in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. But I want you to catch what she says to him. Martha answered, I know, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And look how she responds again. She says, yes, Lord. I, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is to come into the world. She's essentially saying, I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe that you are the Son of God in this world. I just don't know if you are God in my situation. Like, I know that, like, um, I truly believe that in the last days, you, you, yeah, I understand that he's going to rise again. I just don't know about today. This is the struggle that I'm in. Because in waiting periods, in your notes, it says this, in, in your waiting periods, we don't usually become atheists we become situational atheists. When we're in seasons of delay, 
When you're like in this place of like, God's not doing what I expected him to do, and I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. He gave me this promise. I got this prophetic word. I, I, I'm expecting him to move. I've been waiting for him to move, and I've been doing everything that I think or thought that I was supposed to be doing. We don't, we don't necessarily in those seasons start becoming just atheists. We don't just run away from the faith and be like, I, I give up. I don't want to do this thing anymore. We become situational atheists. What do I mean by that? I mean, like, when we're in holding patterns, when we're in seasons of delay and God is not meeting uh, the expectations that we thought that, 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 that he would, like, as Christians, we can still believe that he's got the whole world in his hands. We're just not quite sure if he has our world in his hands. Like, yeah, I know that on the last day, yeah, he's going to rise up. Yeah, you hear it in Martha. She's like, yeah, 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 I know. Like, in the last day, he's going to rise again. But like, I, I mean, come on. It's like, he's dead. And it's really sneaky. It comes on in, in ways that we don't necessarily see happen. Like, we still believe in the resurrection of the last day. We just don't know if we can trust him today. And without even realizing it, we begin to approach our faith, we begin to approach our life situationally, like as if God wasn't with us. And it's different for every single one of us, depending on our life situations, depending on our, our spiritual giftings. There are some of you in here that like if somebody came up here that was sick, you'd be like, let me lay hands on that person. I'm going to pray, God, I have no problem having faith to believe that God can heal them. But that same person may not believe that God could actually heal their marriage. Situational. Or maybe for you, you're like, you know what? I've seen God heal my marriage. And I, I want to come along somebody. I believe that God can do and heal marriages. But you, you're like a sick person, physical. I, I, don't, I, I don't have those magic hands to be able to do that. And the longer that we're in seasons of delay and waiting and holding patterns, the easier it is to become situational atheists in that area of our life. And we become fatalistic and we say things like, well, it is what it is. Yeah, just, just, it is what it is. And so Jesus asks Martha, he's like, do you believe this? He's not asking her like, yeah, I know that you believe in like the big cosmic, you know, the reason that I came and became, the word became flesh. I'm asking you like, do you believe that for this significant thing that's right now in your life? Because I believe that Jesus is always calling us out of the shallows and inviting us to believe him for more than we ever would or that we're comfortable doing. And if you read further along in John chapter 11, you'll know the end of this story. You, you, you get to find out that this is the setup for one of the craziest miracles recorded in Scripture. The scene of their greatest disappointment was actually the setting for one of the greatest miracles. And it's always difficult because in, in human condition, we're always faced with disappointment. And sometimes God will allow disappointment so that he can actually share a little bit more of who he is with us. Because if God met all of our expectations, then he would never have a chance to exceed them. He goes on. Because if you think about this, all right, you never truly know peace unless you've known anxiety. You never truly know love unless you've known hate. Like, you never truly know acceptance unless you've been rejected. 
you never truly know hope unless you've you've known despair. Like you, it, you've never truly know you know what it is that God's doing here unless you've been there. Like God continually takes those things that we just want him to meet our expectations and he's like, I actually want to exceed those expectations so I may have to disappoint them in the meantime. And this is exactly what Jesus is going to do in this story. Verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he says, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, we all know this, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And I don't know about you, but I've always wondered, why did Jesus cry? Why did he weep about a problem and a situation that he was just about ready to fix? Like, he, don't forget about this. Like, he allowed Lazarus to die. He, he just kind of hung around for two extra days. He knew what was going to happen here. He knew, and he also knew that as he walks up here, that just in minutes, all this crying, all this weeping was going to be laughter and joy. And oh my goodness, this is so amazing. And yet the Bible says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he wept. One of the things that always amazes me about my Savior is his uncanny ability to always be fully in the moment that he's in. Always. Whether he's talking to a, a woman caught into adultery or he's going to heal a lame person or he's speaking to an individual like He's always has this uncanny ability to just live fully in the moment that he's in. Don't, don't forget this. Like, Lazarus was called the one Jesus loved, which is kind of funny to me because the writer of this gospel, John, called himself that. The one who Jesus loved. So two times we see this, like he called himself the one who Jesus loved. And apparently Lazarus was also the one who Jesus loved. Because this is what I think. I think that if you actually had the opportunity to live back then and you got to be in the presence of Jesus, I think that no matter who you were, you just felt like you were the only person in the room. I feel like we, even when he was preaching to a crowd, he was, he was preaching to me. I think we, you, could, you could see him walk by, and I think every single person felt special. I think every single person would be like, I'm, I'm the one he loves. I'm the one he loves. The one who Jesus loved. And the thing about Jesus is in this moment, he is grieving. Grieving the loss of someone that he knew and that he loved, and he is grieving along with people who are grieving. Because nobody cries alone. That's what my wife always says. He's comforting and also grieving himself. Verse 38, it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said to them, take away the stone. Take away the stone. I want you to realize that for this family, it was over. They had, the funeral had been done. Jesus had taken his sweet time getting there, and Lazarus had died. They had put him in a tomb. They had sealed it with a rock. 
And I was thinking about this, like how many times do, in, in periods of delay and waiting, do we lay to rest what God is not yet finished with? I mean, what do we do with dead dreams? What do we do with deferred hope? What do we do with promises that have been unfulfilled? What do we do with the delay of a promise that seems to just drag on and on and on and on? We put them to rest. We embalm them. We think, oh, it's taken too long. Too much has happened. This thing, this thing needs to just be, be done with, and this dream is, is dead. And in order to not uh, experience disappointment anymore, we put them into the grave and we just kind of give up on the things that God necessarily has not yet given up on. And I think that God would say to maybe even for some of us in here today, like, hey, that relationship that you um, put in the grave, I wasn't done with yet. That dream that like you, you embalmed, I'm, I wasn't finished with that. There's still things that I'm wanting to do and we end up putting to rest what God wants to still raise. In verse 39, look how, look how Martha, she's still struggling. She says, but, but Lord, but, but Lord, she's arguing with Jesus, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor. She's been there for four days. The, the, the King James Version says, surely he stinketh. Surely he stinketh. Surely he does. Have you ever had something that like um, in your life that, that you think like, oh, I don't even know if I want to go back to that thing and to uncover that pain. You ever have, the, have that experience in life for like that regret that has been concealed for so long and you think, surely it stinketh. I just want to push that thing back. I don't want to think about it. I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about it. God, I know that you're able to do the unimaginable, the impossible, but the process looks way too difficult. I mean, if you think about this, look at what she says. She's literally almost turning down a miracle because she doesn't want to reveal what has been concealed. She's like, surely it stinketh. I mean, come on. I mean, you didn't make it in time. It's fine. But like, let's not make this a big ordeal. Like, it's been four days, Jesus. Like, this isn't going to go well. And she almost turns on a miracle because she's just like, let's just keep this thing. It's, we embalmed. It's everything. Everything's fine. Let, 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 let's just let things be. But this reality, and we know this even in our own life, take Lazarus out of here. The reality is, is that God can only heal what we reveal, not what we conceal. I say this all the time, that God can only heal who we truly are, not who we pretend to be. That as long as we think like, oh, if I can just kind of keep this thing behind wraps, as long as I can, you know, use passwords on my phone, not to protect it, but to conceal self, something, that as long as I just kind of keep this behind me, then I'm just going to be able to move forward. And God's like, you know, I actually need you to roll away that stone so that I can get to that place that you think is healed, but it's just concealed. Because I can only heal what's been revealed first. And, and the interesting thing is, <laughs> he actually tells everybody else to do the hard work of rolling away the stone. 
Do you notice that Jesus doesn't go up there and just start going, because he's probably buff. I don't know. Like, you know, he doesn't try to move away the stone himself. He just says, move away the stone. In other words, like you, all you, move the stone now, do. Because sometimes there is some hard work that you have to do before God can do what only he can do. Do you see that? So he's like, you, you got to roll away the stone. Well, couldn't you just do your little... Can you just do that? Do you do that thing? I don't know. What's the priests do? Could you do that to it? And then he could just and come in. But he's like, no, I want you to roll away that stone. In other words, I'm going to ask you to do the hard thing, to, to reveal that thing that you've concealed because I, I, it's the only way I'm going to be able to do what I came here to do. In verse 41, they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. You talk about what was he doing for the other people that were all there around, the friends and the family, the mourners and his disciples. He's like, I said this for the benefit of them so that they will believe that you sent me. And then he says, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, which is good that he said Lazarus's voice because he probably could have emptied the entire graveyard if he just said, come out, right? All the dead people come up. Rather, well, it's this time, it's ready to go, okay. Like he says, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out. Think about how crazy this must have been to see a four-day-old stinky dead man in a tomb come back to life and struggle to get out of his tomb. It says that the dead man came out. Verse 44 says his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. I mean, it's like literal mummy stuff, right, that we watch in movies, right? Like he's, he's completely kind of like uh, all stuck up in a straitjacket, cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, Lazarus was alive but he was still all wrapped up in his grave clothes. He had come from death to life. I mean, think about this. He was probably struggling just to get up off of wherever they had laid him and trying to, he couldn't even talk, trying to move, trying to, maybe he's hopping. I have no idea what this looked like, but you gotta imagine, like, he was wrapped up. What is, yes, he's trying to get out. He's trying to talk to these people and everyone's just standing there watching. Holy cow. What in the world. And the funny thing is that nobody seems to be helping him. They're just like, take him back. And he's like, and Jesus has to tell them, hey guys, uh, hello, hello, hello. Hey, wake up guys. Could you, could you help, help a brother out here? Help, Help take these things off. The thing that amazes me is that in an instant, Jesus speaks life into death. This man comes from the grave, like four-day-old, dead, dead, dead grave, comes up back to life, and yet he still is wearing his grave clothes. Can I remind you, church, that it is the job of the family of God to help remove the grave clothes. And sometimes I wonder, as we, as the family of God, see new people come in 
and they don't have their life completely perfect even after they give their life to Jesus. Did you know that when you give your life to Christ, you're not perfect? Oh, I know. It's so weird. Some people don't experience that. Immediately perfection, right? Did you know that some people actually still struggle with stuff? Actually, some people come from from death to life, and they are dead, dead, dead in their sin. And all of a sudden, new life is breathed into them. And you know that some of them are still walking around, just trying to get out. And the church is sometimes staring at them, saying, my goodness, they stinketh. They surely, they you smell like that. Or we judge. Like, get it together, man. At least wear something different. Then you can come to church. Not realizing that it is our job and responsibility that God placed lonely in families for brothers and sisters to come along and say, come on, let me help you. Come here. Stop struggling. Whoa. Let's just take these off. Let me help me unwind these lies that you've been entrapped in. Help me take off these grave clothes off of your head so that you can have the mind of Christ. Let me help you work through so that you can, you can actually consume the word of God so that it can transform you from the inside out. I don't expect you to be perfect. I'm just so glad that you're raised from the dead, man. That is awesome. That is af- that's a miracle. And we, we are so stinking excited about that. I can't wait to come alongside you and help you along the way in this path. It is the job of the family of God to come along. God has placed people in, in this house to have brothers and sisters that would help take off those grave clothes, to help correct the dysfunction that is so normal in our world today, to help us remove the past and to put on the mind of Christ and to walk unhindered. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? If you're in a season of delay today, a holding pattern we've been talking about, like a, maybe it's a valley we were talking about from that word, the prophetic word. Like, if you're in a waiting period, a season of like, does Jesus even see the pain that I'm in? Does he even know what the doctor said? Does he even see the state of my marriage? Does he even know what's going on in this area of my life? Does he see that pain? Does he see that fear? Does he see that burden? Or am I the only one who sees it? And he says he loves me. I just don't see it. I'm not here to say, like, I don't believe that you love me. I'm just saying, like, show me. Because if you loved me, you change the situation that I'm in. If you love me, you do something about this. Allow hmm. me to remind you that my expectation isn't to get something, but to know someone. I think this is what Jesus was teaching his disciples. 
I think this is what Jesus was teaching Mary and Martha and all the people who loved Lazarus like Jesus loved Lazarus. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.10, he says, I, I want to know Christ. I want to know. I want to know Christ. And he says, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And I love how Paul writes, I want to know Christ. Because when, when your faith is focused on getting something, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get disillusioned. But when your faith is focused on knowing Christ, then you realize that no matter what hard times lie ahead, and there will be hard times, no matter what valleys lie ahead, and there will be valleys, no matter what disappointments lie ahead, and there will be disappointments, I want to I know Jesus. No matter how long I have to wait, no matter how little I understand, no matter how disappointed I am at my, my expectations not being met, Paul knew something that I venture to know and I hope whets your appetite to know that knowing Jesus is my certain hope in the midst of the uncertainties of life. And if you're trying to find your certainty in the uncertainties of this life, you will be disappointed every time. But if you anchor your hope in knowing Christ, then it means that no matter what comes, no matter what, no matter what, I'm anchored in something that never changes. I just want to pray with you today. And this is what I want to do today. Like every single person in here receives a message like this in very different places because it's depending on where you're currently at. But I know that for some of you, you've got, you've got things, relationships and diagnosis and callings and promises and dreams and things that have just well you maybe you've become a situational atheist about and as we head into this is the last sunday of 2021 as we head into 2022 as we take that step over the threshold of of just a it's a year right it's i've got 40 some behind me Hopefully I'll have 40-some ahead of me. Like, it's a year. But let's just say that, like, God, I am disappointed. And it's okay to say it. I thought my progress bar would have been further along than it is now. And I feel like it hasn't moved a stinking pixel. But Lord, I place my faith in you, not in something, but in someone. And I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I commit as we head into a new year, as we step forward, that I'm not just stepping into, oh, I hope that I get this thing that I've been waiting for, but I hope that I know this savior that I've been longing for. And so maybe you're in a place, and, and this is just between you and the Lord. Maybe you're with your, your husband or wife, and you just take an, uh, an opportunity. Maybe you hold their hand is because both of you know You know what that is. It's the thing that keeps you up at night. <laughs> Even though you don't care about it. It's the thing that it's the thing that just struggles on 
the inside. It's like, man, I wish it wasn't the way that it is, but it is. But I don't want to say it is, it is what it is, but I'm afraid I've allowed that deferred hope to just cause me to lose hope. And so maybe you come into a place where you just lift up your hands and put that thing before Jesus fresh again. Allow him to breathe fresh life into you today. On this December 26th, 2021 to say, Jesus, I want to believe in you again. I mean, I believe in you. I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe that you're the one who is to come into this world. I believe that on the last day we will all rise again, but I want to believe in today. I want to believe that I can trust you today. I want to believe that you are the Messiah of my dream, that you've, you promised, Lord, I, I want to believe in you today. So, Lord, I just, as we lift you up in this place, God, I pray that those dreams and visions would come back to life. And I just speak, come forth in Jesus' name. Come forth in Jesus' name. Come forth. And I come alongside each and every single person in here. God, I pray that everything that is of you would come to pass. Anything that is of Satan would fall to the wayside and have no power over that relationship, over that family member, over, over, over that decision, over that health need. Lord, we just pray, proclaim, come forth in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I just want to encourage you as I, as I let you go today. You were meant to live in community. We've been trying to convince ourselves over the past two years that we're fine being alone. <laughs> You're not. You get weirder. You were meant to live in community of faith. You were meant to have brothers and sisters that come alongside you and say, can I just help you take that grave glove? Can I help you take that off? I see more in you. I see greatness in you. I see gifting in you. I see promise in you. Could you just stop struggling? <laughs> stop working so hard. <laughs> it's actually making it worse. Just, just allow brothers and sisters to come alongside and to help. So Lord, I thank you for this local body of believers. I thank you for the reality that you place the lonely in families and that you call us to love one another, to, to one another one another, to, to help one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to admonish one another, sometimes to drag one another to Jesus even. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that you've placed us together. And we, we go into this new year with renewed hope, renewed vision, renewed purpose, renewed belief and faith in you. We trust you, not just one day, but we trust you today. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.